again the, from the sixth chapter of the book of Ephesians. We're going to read from verse 10 through verse 17 where Paul said, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to ex extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And tonight we're going to be talking about the sword of the Spirit. So, how can I be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might? Paul says it's necessary that I wear the full armor of God. In Romans 13, 14, he said, Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've been trying to tell you in the most simple way, that Jesus is the full armor of God. Well, how can that be? Well, when you see the Lord Jesus Christ, you see a man wearing the full armor of God. He was successful in every battle uh, against the enemy, and so he tested that armor and proved it to be effective. Likewise, we've been talking about David's battle with Goliath. Uh, just looking at the fact that he was offered Saul's armor, but he had not tested it. Not only so, and so he, would, he was not comfortable with it. He wouldn't wear it into battle. Not only so, Saul had not tested it. He'd never gone to battle against the giant with his own armor. Why would David want to wear it? And so instead, David chose to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, and God helped him in that battle. There's no doubt about it. But he lost other battles at other times. David did because he did not have that armor. Why do, we, why do we need it? Paul says we need it because we have an enemy. He's the sworn enemy of God. He is the enemy of the church. He is my enemy and he is your enemy. He has uh, failed many a man and many a woman since Adam and Eve. And Paul says we're in a struggle. And that word struggle means a hand-to-hand -hand combat with the enemy until one has his foot on the neck of the other. And so Paul said, when this struggle is over, I want you to be standing firm. I want you to have your foot on the neck of the enemy. So tonight I want us to consider the sword of the Spirit. You know, we don't know much about swordsmanship and swords, but in that day, they did. Some swords were so powerful that they could not only sever a man's limb in one stroke, they could, in some cases, take a man's life with one swipe. It was a gruesome weapon, a mighty weapon. 
Now, swords obviously varied in strength depending on a couple of things. One, depending on how it was made and who made it. And second, depending on who used it. We, are, we are, of course, are talking about the sword of the Lord. What kind of weapon is it? Why do we need it? How does it help us to make use of it? And again, I want to go to David because an episode out of the life of David to give you an illustration. You might remember that after David had killed the Goliath, the giant, some years later, David found himself fleeing from Saul and uh, running for his life. And he came to Nob, a place called Nob. And there was a priest there called Ahimelech. David just fled for his life, left without anything, just with the clothes on his back, had no weapon in hand. And David asked Ahimelech there at Nob, he said, do you have a weapon here, perhaps a spear or a sword? And Ahimelech the priest said, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, behold, it is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you would take it for yourself, take it, for there is none other except it here. And David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. Now, why did David want the sword of Goliath? What, did he want it as a trophy? No, he wanted it because it was the finest in the land. Imagine what the giant Goliath might have been able to do to puny David had he had opportunity to use that sword. And so David, thinking about the opportunity to use it, said, give it to me, there is none like it. And I would say the same thing about the sword of the Spirit. I know that's a poor illustration, but I would just like you to think about it in that way. There is none like it. And so there are several reasons that the sword of the Spirit is as powerful as it is. First, number one, the sword of the Spirit is powerful because of who forged it. It is forged by the Spirit. Now, apparently, there were secrets to making a good sword. It was not just about the man who was swinging it, and we're swinging, aren't we? It was not just the man about the man who was swinging it. It depended on the skill and materials used by the man who made it. The blade had to be strong, and so if it's forged too quickly or out of inferior materials, the blade could break in battle, leaving one at the mercy of the enemy. So the first thing to know about the value of a sword, if you're looking at it, perhaps a man who's looking at... Uh, Using a sword, he wants to know, well, who made it? Who's the, who's the swordsmith who made it? Forging, by the way, is the process of heating and hammering and shaping and then sharpening the blade and attaching the handle that makes it deadly in the hand of one who holds it. So how is it that I say the sword of the Spirit is forged by the Spirit? Well, the Bible tells us that. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, Peter said simply, No prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. This word is forged by the Spirit. Whether it be the book of Genesis or the book of Revelation, men moved by the Holy Spirit uh, spoke from God. So, what does that mean? Well, it means simply the 
Spirit spoke it into existence. So what did David say about the sword of Goliath? He said, give it to me, for there is none like it. And so Paul said, when you go into the battle against the enemy, you need the sword of the Spirit. There is none like it. Not only in terms of who made it, who forged it, in terms of strength, and it also in terms of quality. The Bible says, Peter again speaking, 1 Peter chapter 1 Verses 24 and 25, Peter wrote, All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Next, in terms of sharpness, the writer of Hebrews said, The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intents of the heart. You'll notice that the writer of Hebrews says it's living and active. And the Greek definition of this word used for living means having vital power in itself and exerting the same power upon the soul. It is also said to be active. Now, when David found the sword of Goliath, he found it in Nob with Ahimelech, and it was wrapped in a cloth uh, behind the, the ephod. And it's not to compare uh, to the sword of the Spirit. It was powerless. It was lifeless. It was useless without a hand to wield it. Not so the sword of the Spirit. It is not useless. That's why a Bible, a Gideon Bible in a drawer in a motel room, opened by some random person and read, finds that it pierces their heart and pierces their soul, and it would also pierce your soul if you would open it and read it. So the Bible says of itself that this is not a dead book. It's living and powerful and sharp, effective in its work, a properly forged sword in the hands of a skillful swordsman could take a limb or take a life. But this is a life-giving sword. It imparts life, and it is, its stroke, the stroke of this sword, is one to which you must surrender. You must open your life and say, God, let me receive the stroke of your word. Now, how do I know that? Well, because the Bible says so. James 1.21, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness, and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your soul. You have to submit to the word and what it wants to do in your life. So what then can we say of the sword of the Spirit? There is none like it. The sword of the Spirit is forged by the Spirit. Second, the sword of the Spirit is wielded by the Spirit. That means he's the one who swings it. The strength of the sword lies first in the skill of the one who made it, but second in the strength and skill of the one who swings it. And the Holy Spirit is the one who uses his word in the lives of people who read it and in the lives of people who hear it. In 1984, we had a witness revival, a lay witness revival at Agricola. I invited Dr. Leonard Sanderson, the Director of Evangelism for the Louisiana Baptist Convention, and he came and led an eight-day revival. 
The first four days of that revival were witness training. He basically taught us how to witness from the scripture, how to take a Bible, an open Bible, and go into somebody's home. And what we were to do before he got there is we were to gather prospects, and every night we'd have witness training, and we would go out and we would witness. We would knock on people's doors, and we would share the plan of salvation. And we did that the next four days, the next door to four days, were days of revival, and uh, it was a good one. One of the things, as I said, he emphasized was the use of the Bible. I still have the little New Testament he gave me, and I, I can remember sitting in some of those homes, and I asked him to just show me, because I was 25 when I came to Agricola. What did I know about anything, preaching or witnessing? And so he emphasized using the Word, using a Bible that was marked, and allowing people to read from the Word what the word itself said, allowing God to do his own work. When you bring the sword of the Spirit, you don't have to use any strength of your own. The Holy Spirit will swing his own sword and pierce the hearts of those who are lost. I want to say something, by the way, about the value of a Bible you hold in your hand. I realize we live in a different day and we live in a digital day. But let me tell you something about the value of a Bible you hold in your hand. First, it is visible. It is visible. Now, I know you can use your phone as a Bible, and I do that sometimes too, but I don't see my phone as a Bible. When I see my phone lying on the table beside me at home, I might think to pick it up to read the news. I don't read the news from this book. I might pick it up to watch a video. I don't watch videos from this book. I might pick it up to do a lot of things, but I don't see my phone. And I realize, however, you can mark a digital copy and notate it. I understand all of that, but, but, but who knows you have it? Who knows you hold it? Second, there's something multi-sensual about a physical Bible. First, there's a weight to it. There's a feel about it. It carries memories of time and and, and shows where it also has a smell about it. And, I'm, you know, smells just bring back all sorts of memories. You, you know that. It's a visible reminder that you need to read it. It seems to convict you. If it's lying on the table, it will convict you that you need to read it. And others see the witness of you carrying it. When Goliath walked across that battlefield brandishing his powerful gleaming sword imagine that here's goliath out there and i i talked with babs about this you you've seen the old western i know buddy watches gun smoke and you've seen those guys pull out those pistols and spin that pistol well some of you girls can spin a baton you just imagine what goliath could do with his sword he could spin that sword and make it flash in the sunlight and make it look like lightning and scare somebody to death. Perhaps, perhaps he's had such a skill in swinging it and spinning it that it would create a visual display of terror. I don't think he'd have created much terror if he'd have walked around using his iPhone. I don't think it would have struck fear into anybody if he was using the iPhone version of his sword. I just believe there's value in holding a Bible. I believe it is a witness. I believe it's a need. And you cannot silence its call to you. If you open it, it will, with surgical skill, pierce your soul. Look, I don't remember where a lot of things are in my Bible. I don't, 
I'm not a scripture memorization person. If you ask me what John 14, 14 says, I couldn't tell you. But if I had read John 14, 14, and you gave me a piece of the verse, even if I didn't know where it was, you said, where is this word in the Bible? I said, well, that word in my Bible is next to a smudge with an ink mark by it, and I know right where that is, and I can find it for you. Because I'm, I'm comfortable with my Bible, and you have one with which you're comfortable. I have one that I preach from. I have one that I study from, and it's just special to have a Bible. So in Psalm, I, how do I know that we're supposed to carry this sword? Well, first, Paul tells us, you need the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, not just carrying it, I know that. You need to carry it in your heart. That's the most important place to carry it. But in Psalm 149.6, I didn't know this verse until I was with Henry Blackaby and Ron Owen. Ron Owen uh, was the song leader for Henry Blackaby in various meetings and and uh, did uh, they wrote together uh, Experiencing God Through Worship. If you've ever been through that, you, there's Experiencing God, and then there's another study called Experiencing God Through Worship. Ron Owen brought this verse to my attention, Psalm 149.6, and it says simply this, Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. Now, we said this word of God, this sword of the Spirit, is forged by the Spirit. It is wielded by the Spirit. He is the one who swings it. And third, it belongs to the Spirit. You'll notice this. It is the sword of the Spirit. It belongs to him. When David retrieved the sword of Goliath, he said, there is none like it. And Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, the word of God is a sharp, two-edged sword. I did not know until just a few weeks ago that that is not literally two-edged. Did you know that? It is two-mouthed. Two-mouthed. It means it bites from two directions. It has the ability to destroy. It has the ability to save. So designed by the one who created it, by the one who wields it, and by the one who owns it. Now we need to get back to our point, and that is we're talking about these various pieces of the Christian's armor. And I have said to you that in some way they all point to the Lord Jesus Christ. So how is it that the sword of the Spirit can be equivalent to the Lord Jesus Christ? We just let the word itself answer that question in the first chapter of revelation we're given a picture of the lord jesus christ and this is part of that description in his right hand this is revelation 1 16 he held seven stars and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in its strength and then in the second chapter when speaking to one of the seven churches we read and to the angel of the church in pergamon write the one who has the sharp two-edged sword says this, who holds that sword, who wields it, who owns it. Now we need to put some of the pieces of this picture together. Remember David's retrieval of the sword of Goliath wrapped in a cloth in the care of Ahimelech. And what did David say? He said, there is none like it. That was a human sword, but we're not talking about a human sword. We're not talking about David on the battlefield or Goliath on the battlefield spinning his sword around, making it flash, shooting out rays of the sun, scaring people on the other side. We're talking about the Lord himself and his sword 
the sword that he uses. Let me read you this passage from the book of Ezekiel. You've sung the battle hymn of the Republic, haven't you not? You know the battle hymn of the Republic? He has loosed the fateful lightning of his terrible swift sword. It comes from this passage in Ezekiel chapter 21, verse 1. I'm going to read 10 verses. This, then this message, this is the New Living Translation for some of us who need a little more modern understanding of it, like me. Then this message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, turn and face Jerusalem and prophesy against Israel and her sanctuaries. Tell her, this is what the Lord says, I am your enemy, O Israel, and I am about to unsheath my sword to destroy your people, the righteous and the wicked alike. Yes, I will cut off both the righteous and the wicked. I will draw my sword against everyone in the land from south to north. Everyone in the world will know that I am the Lord. My sword is in my hand, and it will not return to its sheath until its work is finished. Son of man, groan before the people, groan before them with bitter anguish and broken heart. When they ask you why you are groaning, tell them, I groan because of the terrifying news I have heard. When it comes true, the boldest heart will melt with fear. All strength will disappear. Every spirit will faint. Strong knees will become as weak as water. And the sovereign Lord says, it is coming, it is on its way. Then he said to me, Son of man, give the people this message from the Lord. A sword, a sword is being sharpened and polished. It is sharpened for terrible slaughter and polished to flash like lightning. This is a two-mouthed sword. It can save or it can destroy. This is a different picture, is it not? But it's a picture that we need to see. It's also a picture in the New Testament book of Revelation. Chapter 19, verse 11, I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. Now what, what am I doing here reading this? This is not going to be on the screen. I'm reading it because I want to identify whose sword this is that cuts two ways, that saves and destroys that terrible the fateful lightning of his terrible, swift sword. The word, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, that, that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And of course, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Word of God, the Word made flesh. The sword is His sword. We are privileged to hold it and privileged to read it and see flashes of His glory from it. But He is the one who wields it in mighty power. So, as we are commanded by David in the Psalms, let us leave from here with the high praises of God in our mouths and a two 
edged sword in our hands.